Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Someone once said to me that I love talking about money, which is probably the most true statement about me. And dear reader, dear listener, dear friend, we're going to talk about money today. My guests are Adam Jackson Bay and Valerie Clark, two members of GoFundBean, which is a nonprofit organization born during the pandemic when thousands of coffee workers, baristas, and beyond were laid off from their jobs. GoFundBean seeks to empower hourly coffee workers through mentorship programs, grant programs, and most recently, through a comprehensive salary survey. See what uh, I was talking about with money? Hundreds of coffee workers responded anonymously to their survey, answering questions like what their hourly wages were, or if they were salaried, what that wage was, or how much they made in tips, and if they received any benefits at work. You might recognize Adam and Valerie. Both have been guests on the show before, but they're here today to break down some of the survey's surprising and not-so-surprising findings. From discovering substantial gaps in pay between hourly and salaried workers to uncovering that most baristas are only getting scheduled 26 hours of work a week, the survey will make you rethink how coffee workers are paid. And we'll do so in a really nitty gritty, really granular way. We talk about specific numbers. And I also think Listening to them will make you rethink how we value service work in general. Here are Adam and Valerie. All right, friends, I have two people who have been on the show before. I have Valerie Clark and Adam Jackson Bay of GoFundBean, not GoFundMe, GoFundBean. Maybe I'll include the clip where I said this wrong is like an audio extra for you folks later, but... Valerie and Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh my gosh, yeah. hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So I want to talk specifically about a survey that you folks conducted as part of GoFundBean. You did this pretty wide-sweeping wage survey for baristas, and you released the data a couple of days ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago by the time this goes to air, and there were some really big findings in there that we're going to break down. We're going to talk about all the data that you folks compiled, but I want to step backwards a little bit and ask what prompted you folks to do this wage survey? Do you want me to go, Valerie? Yeah, go for it. About a year before the pandemic started, because that's how I take keep track of time now, <laughs> around the country, a lot of different places did a like a wage survey. I don't remember who started it. Just like try to find out where wages were for breezes in the area. 
And post-pandemic, obviously, when GFB has started, um, this was something we wanted to incorporate for us on a national level because we had a, a national voice and uh, and we were able to like get people all around the country, not just in specific areas in the country. So we wanted to see how much baristas were getting paid, hourly coffee workers were getting paid, like whether that's barista or roaster or whatever, honestly, because that is very important to how we want to help people. Because like at GFB, obviously our mission is to support, uplift, and defend the hourly coffee worker. And so we decided to create, like with the basis of those surveys, create a broad, very detailed, very data-heavy way so that baristas and other hourly coffee workers can know what they're getting, what other folks are getting paid around the country, to know if they're getting paid less than other folks, and also so that we can kind of have like a roadmap on, okay, like here's where we can help people and here's how we can help people out a little better. Yeah, I should mention too. So the barista spreadsheets that you were talking about kind of pre-pandemic, which you're right, I think we're all measuring time like this now. So these were these like anonymous Excel spreadsheets that were going all around the country and people could report how much money they were making anonymously. And it seemed like one of the biggest takeaways is that there was no rhyme or reason to how people were getting paid. Right, yes. And I think that we saw that and we remembered that. And we wanted to incorporate that as soon as possible. So we, and a lot of this was Valerie, honestly, created like these questions and kind of figured out the best way to see all of this information and get this information off to people so that, like I said, we can give people data that they can use to like fight for raises and pay increases and also give us data so that we can help baristas and other hourly coffee workers on a, on a broader basis. Why do you think wage transparency has become something that more people are talking about? Because pre-pandemic, we did see all of these these wage spreadsheets going around, and it seems like people are a lot more comfortable talking about salary and wage transparency, but maybe that wasn't the case like five years ago or so. So like, when did you folks start seeing this becoming more and more of a thing, and why do you think it's become more important now? Yeah, I think in the last couple of years, it definitely, I think along with a lot of other conversations that were happening during COVID, it just became easier to talk about this and have these conversations. I remember being told not to talk about my salary, like by both my parents and by bosses kind of along the way. And I'm glad that it's changed because as you said, in 2019, we were seeing a lot of people are being paid like really arbitrary amounts. And it's it's not based on position or experience it's based on favoritism a lot of times or just like whim and so I think having that conversation now is so important because it's kind of a move towards standardization in the industry and toward fairness in the industry like toward toward a a better kind of um a better future maybe yeah I think so I think a, a more equitable future for for baristas and other hourly workers How'd you folks think about designing the questions for the survey? Adam, you mentioned that Valerie kind of came up with some of the main metrics that you folks were looking at. So how did you sit down and say, these are the questions that we want to ask. This is the information that we want to find out. We talked about it in a few board meetings, actually. And then actually, Tommy Gallagher deserves a lot of the credit, too, because he and I sat down for like two hours and we just like looked over previous questionnaires from or like the anonymous Excel spreadsheets from 2019. And we kind of decided what we wanted to ask, what we were trying to measure, what our goals were and how we were going to present this. And he was actually the one who decided that we should also be surveying salaried workers 
so that hourly workers could see not only what is possible, but also see kind of how salaried workers got to their positions. Speaking of salaried workers and incorporating the data of salaried workers versus hourly workers, let's let's talk about some of the findings, because one of the biggest findings, it seems, is that salaried workers have a lot more protections across the board than hourly workers. So Adam, I was wondering if you could break down a little bit what the difference between salary and hourly workers was when you looked at the data. Like one of the biggest ones that I see is that 6% of the salary workers said they didn't receive any additional benefits from their employers and 38% of hourly workers didn't receive any benefits. So like 6% of salary workers not receiving benefits is still like not great because you would like, you know, if their salary, they should get benefits, like at the very least to me. So like that was one of the things that jumped out to us. And we also noticed that hourly workers weren't receiving raises at the same rates as salary workers. So if you're a salary, you had a better chance of getting a raise. And also you had a better chance of knowing when that raise was coming. That was really one of the two of the bigger ones from a pay standpoint. And then with respect to like taking home money and how that like affected the household, 20% of salary workers felt like they weren't able to pay their bills comfortably, comfortably every month. And 49% of hourly coffee workers felt like they weren't able to do that. So it, there was a wide, like you're way, way, way better off if you're salaried versus if you were an hourly worker. Yeah. And to piggyback kind of on what Adam was saying about raises, one of the things we noticed also was that hourly employees sometimes aren't getting raises at all. And when they do get raises, it takes longer for them to get their first raise. Whereas like salaried employees sometimes are receiving a raise within the first three months. And then they're also likely to have like clear performance review schedules, clear wage increases. Sometimes they get cost of living adjustments every year. And so the gap is also widening, like the how much money salary they're outpacing earning in in a way that hourly workers just can't keep up with. And that has huge impacts on on what they can do with their lives, really. Another thing that I found really interesting, so all of this data is available very readily. You guys made this available for anybody to access. And you also included all these really interesting charts. And one of the charts that I found was super interesting was that two-thirds of people reported no clear guidelines on wage increases. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that finding. Yeah, and I think that actually kind of goes to the conversation we had before about like salary and you're way more likely to have that conversation with somebody who's salaried about like what the wage increases are and how what the schedule is like whether it's like a performance review every six months and a wage increase every year or whatever you're way more likely to have that conversation with somebody that is salary than an hourly employee for whatever reason because again we think about wages and how people are paid in a very weird way in this country, and especially within the restaurant hospitality industry, which being coffee worker is a part of. So I think that has a, a lot to do with it, is that like a lot of owners and managers see hourly workers as temporary and then treat them that way, and then they become temporary because they were treated like they were temporary because they were originally seen as temporary. So like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, it's a negative feedback cycle, which kind of going back to our idea of budgeting earlier or budgeting your labor costs seemed surprising to me that you would treat workers in a way where they would want to leave because, or at least you wouldn't try to treat workers to prevent them leaving because the most expensive part of having employees is hiring and training them. Like the cheapest time you're ever going to have an employee is six months into their job. 
And so I don't understand why you would kind of create an environment where people leave constantly and you have constant turnover. And, and you know, it's a way of approaching employment that confuses me. Yeah. And also just like to piggyback off Valerie about that, like it's it's even cheaper to give somebody like, let's say, an hourly coffee worker. It's cheaper to give them a dollar raise because a dollar raise is going to cost you as at a business a little over a thousand dollars. Like over the course of a year versus like hiring and training a brand new person, which can cost like $4,000 to hire and train and get somebody new, especially, and also depending upon like how senior that person is. So like if you're quibbling with a a, co- a coffee worker, a barista or whoever, over getting paid $16 an hour versus $17 an hour, like in the end, and then you, they, they leave to, to spool back up, hire that person, fill those shifts, all of these things. And then not to mention the opportunity cost of, whoever is training and hiring those people doing that instead of anything else. It just, it, yeah, it, I, I've, that's never made sense to me in the way that we treat hourly workers in this country as if they're temporary. And then like we wonder, or not we, but owners wonder why the labor costs are so high is because you have such a high turnover. Right. And then we're living in this era in the United States specifically where people are quibbling about like, oh, no one wants to work anymore. It's like, well, we as an, as a country have treated people as hourly, temporary, not going to stay for a long time. So like, why are we suddenly surprised when people don't want to fill specific roles that they've been, they've been treated like garbage at? Can I talk about that real quick? Yeah, go for it. Because that, that actually bothers me on a, on, on a lot of levels but I I have a lot of friends like that aren't in coffee that work desk jobs that like throughout the pandemic they were able to do from home and now they're going back into work and so like they're also really frustrated about their jobs and like we're also frustrated on this end because we've been told for so long that like oh you just work coffee or you or oh you just at a restaurant or you're just a bartender or whatever like like when are you going to get a real job was something I heard a lot when I was an hourly coffee coffee worker. And then like when the pandemic happened, we're suddenly essential. Right. And so like to then like, oh, nobody wants to work. It's like, well, like for two, two and a half years, like we're essential people still getting paid like crap and getting treated worse and worse on a daily basis. And now like, of course I don't want to work that job anymore. Of course I want to get out of coffee and go into coding or into nursing or like design or music or or follow my passions because like I've learned that no matter how much you say this job is important this job is essential we need this job in order for the country to run effectively I'm still going to get paid like crap I'm still going to get treated like crap so what what's the net benefit of me staying here no I don't want to work this job so like that's that's why nobody wants to work these jobs because like we've been told all the time that we had it, that like, it was just a dead end job. Why are we doing it? Then we're told for two years, it's essential to the lifeblood of this country that you work this job. And then we're told again, Oh, it's a dead end job. Why are you doing it? And I'm going to treat you like crap on top of that. Yeah. I'm leaving. I'm not going to work there anymore. Right. And then we have this built in system of, okay, we hire you for this job, but we're going to treat you like you're temporary. We're going to treat yeah. you like you're not going to be here for a long time. And as as you both mentioned, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just perpetuates this idea that certain jobs are temporary, so people stay in them for very short amounts of time because they're not getting their needs met, and it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But we can stop this. And I think one of the kind of like secondary findings I'm imagining that you folks have found doing this is that like planning kind of matters a lot. So thinking back to like the salary versus hourly debate, 
it seems like having a plan for somebody, be it this is when you're going to get your six-month raise, this is when you're going to get your PTO benefits, has a substantial benefit to workers. Yeah, I agree. Because I think that shows like a level of like thoughtfulness and care and investment in your employee that your employee is already giving to you. Like, I think having a plan for their career, or at least an, like an idea of what their career could be at your company shows that you are just as invested as they are and that you care just as much as they do. And that that in a lot of can often be enough to keep someone for at least, you know, six months longer than than they might have stayed in a job that feels quote unquote dead end. Right, right. Having like all of these folks, especially in the hourly tab, you have the salary tab, you have the hourly tab. It just seems like there's no plan at all. And I think this happens a lot in coffee shops where people open up coffee shops and they don't see their jobs as employing people. Like they don't see it they're like, oh, I'm going to hire people because they're going to work at this coffee shop. But my job isn't to actually like foster any sort of development for people. I'm just going to like kind of throw out numbers willy nilly without a plan, which is, again, is something I see so much at at so many coffee shops. Um, But it seems like really just having just sitting down and taking a couple of days and being like, this is how this coffee shop is going to run. I'm going to start everybody at this rate. I'm going to give them these incentives if they have, you know, zero to two years of experience versus three to five versus this like 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 make a rubric for yourself like check the boxes and like make it automatic and that'll save you not only so much headache because you have this all planned out so you know when you hire somebody okay this person has this experience i'm going to start them at this amount based on this rubric i started but also that barista or that hourly worker can say like i understand why i'm getting this this rate and i know what comes next yeah, and I I also think that one of the kind of findings of this sur- of the survey that we did was that a lot of salaried workers that responded actually started out as baristas. That's where their careers began. And so people do start as baristas and move into becoming directors of operations. Like that happens and we have evidence of that. And I would bet, I mean we couldn't really measure this specifically with the survey, but I would bet that the people that were baristas and moved up also had bosses somewhere along the way who helped them make a plan and helped them kind of figure out what the future could look like and took that time to invest in them. I want to talk about some of the really big findings. So on average, hourly workers were making $14 an hour based on your findings, which I think if someone read that in in a vacuum without any sort of understanding of like the context of where we are in the United States today and also how much people are actually working, they would be like, oh, wow, $14 an hour. The minimum wage in the United States is $7.25. That's almost double. That's great. But I looked up some living wages in some kind of like mid-level cities, like not the biggest cities in the United States, kind of some, some average ones. I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Madison is the 81st largest city in the United States, the cost of living here for one person with no children, just by themselves, is $1749 an hour. Cincinnati is the 66th biggest city in the United States. The living wage there is $1534 an hour. In Oklahoma City, it's about $15 an hour. That's the 22nd biggest city in the United States. So what what was it like see kind of putting all those numbers together putting all those salary numbers together and being like oh wow 14 dollars an hour is really not a lot well 
on top of that, it isn't just $14 an hour. And that's assuming that you're working 40 hours right. a week. On average, baristas are only working 26 or scheduled 26 hours a week. So like, even if you push that to 30, that's like $1,500 a month, mm-hmm. which like you're not, you're nowhere close to that 1571 for 40 hours or whichever, like for those cities, like you're, you're only working a little more than half of those hours mm-hmm. to get to 40. So like, you're still extremely underpaid and like almost have to get a second job in order to make ends meet like mm-hmm. at that at $14 an hour, because it, you're right in a vacuum, $14 an hour seems like a lot. And then even if you compare it to, Oh yeah, like it's only a dollar less than 1571. And so like, and people are like, okay, so maybe you get an a dollar, $2 on average in tips, but still that's only 26 hours a week. So there's still that huge gap that needs to be made up. And so that becomes an issue in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Because the, the MIT wage calculator is calculated using a 40 hour work week. And so they're saying that you need 1571 per hour, 40 hours a week to make, to be, to be able to live in Madison. And even if you're making $14 an hour plus tips, which you know, the survey showed the average barista is only making like a hundred to three hundred dollars a week in tips, which is maybe an extra like three, four dollars an hour, maybe if they're working twenty six hours a week. Like so that takes them to fourteen, maybe, maybe eighteen dollars an hour, but still only twenty six hours a week. That's not the same. Like there's still not there's still a very large gap between what baristas are making and what the living wage is in almost every city. Yeah, that's a big important finding too. I'm I'm glad that you brought that up, Adam. That baristas are only working about 26 hours a week, so it seems like. And I was looking through some of the comments. People were allowed to leave like anything else you want to know or share with us, kind of at the end of the survey. And a lot of people said that they could not live if they didn't have a spouse that made more money or that they had a second or third jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, what was that? Yeah. yeah. What was that like, like reading these comments? Disheartening. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, like it, it really is because I think it's just so hard to like, I've lived that life, right? Like I, you know, up until the pandemic, I was living that life. And even briefly during and after the pandemic, I was kind of living that, that, that desperate kind of clawing feeling of needing two and three jobs just to make ends meet. And it was so frustrating, too, because I think a lot of the the logic for not investing in hourly workers in terms of their growth, a lot of that comes in with this idea that the job is unskilled and that in order to move up in the world, quote unquote, you need to have like degrees and experience hourly workers can't afford to get anymore. Like I remember being, you know, a barista and like wanting to go back to school to take like one class a semester at UCLA and I both wasn't allowed to take like just uh, shift my schedule so that I could do that. And in any case, even if I had been allowed to, I wouldn't have been able to afford the tuition for one class a semester. So there's kind of this feeling of entrapment that Brees they can't afford to make their lives. They can't afford to change their lives in any kind of like meaningful, dramatic way. And they're also being treated as if it's their fault that they're not doing so. I want to maybe zoom outward a little bit because I think everything you just said about education and kind of trying to like better your opportunities is really, really important. And I wonder as we, cause to me, like I can say like, Oh, you know, I used to make whatever amount when I first started as a barista and I made a little bit more 
towards like my the end of my tenure as a barista. But I would argue that the $10 an hour I made in 2010 was significantly more worthwhile than the $14 an hour I made in 2018. It feels like we're trending downward. And I wonder for you folks, is that a conversation that you're having? Is it about, is it, is it something that you're like, what will happen in five years to baristas or hourly coffee workers in general? Yeah. That's something we think about a lot. Like the thing that a lot of folks like kind of know and kind of talk about, but you don't really think about in real numbers is like inflation, Mm -hmm. like inflation went up 7.1% last year. And I think it went up like between four and 5% the year before. So like, $14 last year is not $14 this year. You know, like you would need a raise of 7.1% in order just to to keep barely making ends meet. And so like you're losing money actively that way. So there's that part of it. And then a lot of folks are scared of a recession right now. So people are cutting back hours and you're seeing it like everywhere from tech to restaurants and that people are spending less and like going out less. And so like people in preparation for a recession that we don't know is going to happen yet for sure. And then people are making less money that way. So like, yeah, it's something that I I know I think about a lot. I know Valerie thinks about not a lot. And I know that the board, we all think about collectively a lot and how we can try to figure out best, the best possible ways to get help to hourly coffee workers in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Because I have to imagine when you look at the data that you've compiled, you must be begging like owners to kind of look at this and be like, please internalize these and think about what this means. Because when I look at this data and I think about the trend downwards, including all of the conversations about inflation, about you know needing a 7.1% raise just to subsist, just to be making the same amount you were last year, I wonder like if if we're talking about coffee in five or 10 years, like we're going to lose baristas. Like we're just, we're just not going to have them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's something that occurred to me looking at this. I was like, if this doesn't, if these wage trends don't change, I don't know how anybody continues on in this career. And I think that there are some people who are planning for that and who are thinking, Oh, we're going to move toward robotics or AI or something. And I'm like, I don't think we're going to have the technology to do that in five years. Like we need to come up with a different solution than, having robots bake my coffee. Right. That seems like a pretty poor solution for like, I don't want to pay people (laughs) more money, especially to, I find, I don't know how much, how many conversations you're having with, with business owners, or maybe if you've met people with, with like resistance points. But I find when I talk to people who own businesses, the resistance points I, I, I hear people talking about are not wanting to upset consumers. And I'm like, why don't you raise your prices? Why don't you talk to your consumer, your customers, more directly about like what you need from them. And I find that a lot of owners don't, don't take that step. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I think not wanting to upset consumers like can seem like a valid point, but I think your customers will be a lot more upset when your coffee shop doesn't exist because nobody can afford to work there anymore. Right. Yeah. People are going to be more upset when you close because you couldn't make enough money to pay your workers and pay your rent. Or people are going to be upset that they go into their favorite coffee shop and they don't recognize anybody every month two months i i think i think that's the big thing about like automatic 
like robotic coffee. I think that that's the one thing that if there are companies that are looking forward to that or like looking to that as a solution, like people don't necessarily go to get specialty coffee because they love the coffee. Like it's the entire experience. You know, it's the same reason like you wouldn't love a robotic waiter at a white linen restaurant, you know, like you want somebody who knows your order, who talks to you, who knows who your kids are, knows that your your kid just had a, a bad spelling test and like loves chocolate croissants and gave you extra chocolate croissants so that your kid feels better. You know, like there is the little things like that, that make going to your corner coffee shop, like really special. Mm-hmm. And for sure, like if you're in a super high volume shop downtown in a business area where there's a lot of people that may be helpful, but like, again, back to the pandemic, because everything post-pandemic stems from there, if you have more people working remotely and working like even four days in, one day's out of the office, there's going to be less of those super busy downtown coffee shops and where the like more semi-automatic machines make the, make more sense. So like it's, you have to take care of your people first. and that mm-hmm. And that's something that we know in the coffee industry, like, very intimately like we we talk about how we need to pay producers better on that end of the supply chain and like the reason why gfb exists and has continued to exist is because we also know we need to take care of the baristas and other hourly coffee workers on this side of the supply chain and again like i do understand like a lot of those pain points that shop owners have but look taking a long view of it like what's more important keeping your shop open in the long run and upsetting a few customers now or upsetting everybody when your shop closes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I, my thought, whenever I talk to people that are worried about upsetting their customers, even outside of coffee, I'm like, well, those people aren't your people. Like, they're not they're not the people that you want in there anyway, because they're also probably not treating your employees very well. And is that really how you want your employees to experience their job every day with, with kind of crappy customers that are rude to them? And I think being clear about your goals as an employer and how you want to treat your employees well, like that attracts customers. Like people come in and like, yeah, you're, you might see some changeover in your customer base, but I think done right and done, you know, explained well, then you're not going to lose the customers that matter. Right. And I think something you said made me think, it's really about having a vision for your coffee shop. And it's about saying like, these are the values that I have and this is how I'm going to honor them. It's, it's, it's wild to me how, how often like the goal is like expansion and it's like, but why? Like for, to, what, to end? what end, to what end? What are, why are you doing this? And I think that a lot of people really can't answer that question. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why is this here? Does it need to be here? It's okay if it doesn't. Like maybe it doesn't need to be here, but like knowing that the, knowing your answer and being able to execute on that is such a, it's so interesting to me how many people can't answer that question. And if you're like looking at this wage data and you're just kind of like resistant to it for some reason, if it's like making you uncomfortable or you're just like, I don't, I I don't have the means to do this. Like, I hope you leave this conversation asking yourself like, why, and why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like who said that this is the way you have to do it? Right. Cause you could just not. Yeah, you can just not. You can just not. We've talked a lot about big, important things that maybe have kind of like a negative side to them. Is there anything that was really positive or encouraging from this wage survey that like that warmed your heart or like any of the comments that you read that like made you think, okay, like we have a lot of work to do, but there's some good happening here. 
There are two things that immediately come to my mind. I don't know about you, Adam, but the first one was that a lot of hourly workers get PTO and sick days. And I know that some of that is state mandated, but it was very encouraging to see that just because like I remember being a barista and being told that breaks weren't required. <laughs> like, so the idea that we've come, we've come so far in like the eight to 10 years since a boss told me that. So that's very encouraging. And then the other thing that I found really encouraging was that of the, I think it was like 79 or 80 salaried respondents, 59 of them started their careers behind the bar as a barista. And to me, I'm like, oh, that's great because that means that somewhere in this industry, we are prizing growth and development and people are managing to get their foot in the door and then move up. And that's really exciting and encouraging to see. Those are those are my two, actually. Too. Like, <laughs> Sorry. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I sold them. No, no, it's, it's fine because and 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 really like yeah, like getting PTO and like being able to like have a career path, I think is important, and I think that's at, at the bare minimum what folks want out of a job is that that they can get sick, you know, and they can take time off and like go visit their family or take a trip or whatever. And that they're, they have a path and they don't, if they want to be a barista for the rest of their life, or they want to be like a production assistant for the rest of their life, they can, and that's completely fine. But if they want to be director of operations or head roaster or a trainer, that there is a path and that they can move upwards. I think that those are like things that almost every employee like kind of holds dear. It's like th- just the ability to have an option. So yeah, like Valley stole them, but I think that those are two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The option to grow is great. Is there anything you folks are working on now that you want people to know about? I, I'm freezing because there's so many things that we're doing right now. Yeah, we're planning a lot of cool stuff for Expo. We are planning cool stuff for Expo. Because like, I think depending upon when this comes out, some of the stuff like that we're in the middle of may be like sign up for whatever, maybe over. We're planning a lot of cool stuff for Expo. We, we're still in the process. We want to celebrate our birthday in some, in some way. Our birthday is March 17th. We don't know how we're going to do that yet, but I would just say keep your eye out for GFB stuff around Expo because we're we're super excited about Expo for the first time in our existence about like what we can do at Expo. We're still like giving out monthly grants to people, emergency grants, not as many as before because we were doing about 28 at a time or 10 at a time each quarter. And now we're 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 hitting that number about, but we're doing the monthly, so there's less there so it's a little different. And like we're we're just really excited to keep doing the work and keep like um helping folks and supporting, uplifting and defending hourly coffee workers however we can. And I would also say that like if this wage survey, if this tick tickled your fancy or if you were like, Oh crap, I didn't fill this out, we are gonna run this again. We're it's gonna be an annual thing that we do every year. So we're also planning to use the data from this survey to create a map where people can refer to to it to see kind of what the average pay in an area is and how that compares to the MIT living wage data. So look out for that. We're hoping to get that out soon. And if you're listening, and- please look at your MIT living wage data for where you live. Just just find yes. out. It's important. Adam, you were going to say something? Oh yeah, I was going to say that like legitimately, and this is something that like people forget sometimes that like we are a five one c three nonprofit, and like if you do believe in the work that we're doing and you do want to help support and uplift and defend hourly coffee workers, please donate to us because like like legitimately every 
one, two, five dollar monthly donation really helps us and helps us to, and helps us to be able to plan our budget and what we can and can't uh, do <laughs> on a annual, semi-annual basis. So like if you're able to, if you want to support the work that we're doing, like please, please share what we're doing. It's easiest to do it through our website, which is gofundbean.org. So thank you both for taking time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. That was Adam Jackson Bay and Valerie Clark of GoFundBean. You heard Adam make a plea to support GoFundBean if you're interested in this kind of work. Like he said, they are a 501c3 nonprofit, and you can go to GoFundBean.org. It's like GoFundMe, which we're all familiar with, but Bean, like coffee bean, GoFundBean.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.